At 9.15, I made a, uh, uh, a comment, uh, and th again, this is why I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. So um, let me re-say re, uh, my comment. I said, for the next three or four weeks, we're going to be talking about the marriage, marriage stuff. Uh, and if, you know, if you want to bring uh, your uh, significant others, that'd be a good time. We're going to go over some, some uh, uh, very important marriage, uh, uh, biblically what a marriage looks like if you will. And, and like I said, uh, uh, you know, I've been in the Bible for about 12 or 13 years before I met Mark Trotter. And I thought I knew what marriage was all about, man. I thought I had it down until, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I don't even know what marriage is anymore. Uh, I do know what it is now, thankfully. I understand what a biblical marriage is supposed to look like. Uh, and we're going to spend probably about four weeks, I would say, talking and discussing about what a biblical marriage looks like because we're in Genesis 2.28. Uh, and so we're going to look at that. And so I would highly encourage you uh, to, uh, if you're married, if you're going to be married, if you have people you know that are married, whatever, uh, I would highly encourage you, man. Uh, man, it's going to be eye-opening for a lot of people, I promise you. And even if you think you know something, I promise you, you probably don't. So I would highly encourage you all to, at least for those four weeks, uh, get here at 9.15. And here's, here's my gift to you. Here's my gift to you. We're not even going to start that until August 8th because I completely forgot about the, uh, this thing and I'm not going to be doing 9.15 to 10.15 because those are going to be long days. So next week is July 4th, so we may as well just start there. So we will not be meeting uh, at 9.15 for the whole month of July. So don't, don't come. If you do, you can. You'll just be hearing me and Chris and everybody sing, practicing, um, which means we can sleep in a little bit because now we don't have to be here till later. Um, so with that being said, there is no Bible, what do we call it? I forgot. What did I call it? The one something? One simple study. Thank you. There's going to be no one simple study in, uh, in July, and uh, that will also carry over to the first Sunday in August, which I believe is August 1st. And then we'll pick back up in August 8th. And then when we pick up back up in August 8th, pretty much 8th, 15, 20, yeah. So the four Sundays in August, those four weeks, we'll be doing uh, what a biblical marriage looks like. And so I would uh, highly encourage you to, 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 to be here for that and to, uh, you know, invite people to come because uh, it, it's going to be a mini marriage conference, if you will. And uh, I promise you, we will learn uh, much during that process. Um, vacation Bible school is two weeks from today. Uh, well, it's only yay, it's only woo if we have kids. So we need to get, you know, we need to be about that now. Uh, we need to start, you know, if we have kids of our own, at least get them signed up. Because I'm not even sure we've even signed ours up yet, Sarah. Uh, Sarah's fault. Uh, everything's Sarah's fault when it's wrong. When it's right, it's my, uh, I did it. Okay, that's how this rolls. This is why I need to be at the marriage, marriage conference. Someone needs to preach to me about marriage because, no, but we got to get, we got to, you know, hey, you know, I would say if you ask me, man, I would feel like we have a success if we had 15, 20 kids. I'd be, I'd be ecstatic. And if we have more than that, amen, praise the Lord. I know that Amanda wants to have 700,212 because she wants me to already get next door. And, and listen, I'll do it. I'll grab it. But, um, you know, has anybody signed up at all? Good. No kids have signed up. 
So as of right now, we're all going to be here uh, singing songs to one another. So that'll be fun. Um, I'll enjoy it. April, how about you? Yeah, yep, April. April will enjoy it. So we'll all just have... I know there will be kids here, but hey, uh, you know, y'all know have friends and family that have kids. I know you do. Don't tell me you don't, okay? Uh, listen, this is a good time and a good opportunity to get them involved and uh, be a part of what we're doing. So I hope you will uh, take that seriously and get your kids involved. All right. <clears throat> so we've been talking about uh, this thing of uh, salvation. And so certainly we want to... Uh, 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 Dig deeper today, and that's what we're going to do, okay? Uh, but before we start, uh, I had a conversation with Brother Robert this week, and, and I, I think it is that important to make sure that we, we talk about this, because it is important, and it is one of the bigger problems in the church house today, and obviously, the way we preach around here. If you don't really understand it, you might see where we would, you know, we would tend to lean toward a particular way of doing things. And I just want to assure you that's not what we're saying. And so let me, let me, let me, let me, let me you're all probably sitting there going, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Well, let me help you understand what I'm talking about right now. There's really two big pushes when it comes to the idea of salvation in the church house today. Now, if you were at our Bible study last night, you already know where I'm going with this because I talked about it last night, okay? And we got to make sure we understand what they are, okay? And, and we understand how to navigate through it because they can be very confusing for a lot of people, okay? There's one side of the fence, and I got it on the board for you there, that's called easy believism, okay? This is probably what 90% of churches today are preaching and teaching out of their pulpits. And when I say easy believism, I, it's, 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 it's something like this. God loves you. He loves you for who you are. Just come to him. He'll save everybody. Just bow your head and say a prayer after me. Did you bow your head and say a prayer? Welcome to the kingdom of God. You're saved. What? No. No, 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 no. That is not biblical salvation in any way shape or form did i spell something wrong robert just can't what i want to know is who erased my board why did you why did you erase the back there's nothing on the back So there's the culprit. You know, you just cannot hire a good help around here. You just can't. At least we found out who the culprit was. At least he took a picture. That, that's helpful. I will, I will give him that. Okay. All right. So um, easy believism, now that it's spelled right, um, you know, that's what it is, man. You know, it's, it's that idea of, of, you know, the preacher getting y'all hyped up about something, you know, make appealing to your emotions. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all been in churches like this, man. They, they don't ever preach the gospel. The message was never, the gospel message, according to scripture, was never propagated, right? It, but, but, but they get y'all, and they get you to bow your head, say a prayer, say this prayer after me. You know, it's all about, you know, 
and when we die, we get to go to heaven and, and all this good stuff, and it sounds all mushy and rah, 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 but the problem is that's not biblical salvation. First of all, yes, you do have to believe in that, but Paul says, and receive. And there is a very fine line between believing, because the devils believe and tremble, and receiving something, okay? Uh, making it your own, if you will. Okay, that's the one end of the spectrum. That's probably most churches, let's be honest. But then there's the other end of the spectrum that is called lordship salvation. And basically what that will say and what that will teach is the Lord told you to do something. If you don't do it, you're not saved. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever heard anything like that? And, and listen, a lot of the way I preach, and maybe even Robert at times preaches, you might go, well, yeah, we're Lordship Salvation, aren't we? No, we're not. Okay, because that in, Lordship Salvation is going to infer works. And we're not that either. Okay, now, what I will say is, if he's your Lord, then you should do what he tells you to do, but that's not in requirement of salvation. Are we clear on that? Okay, because if I haven't been clear on that, I want to make sure I am clear on that. I am not, and nor would I ever say, that if you are not doing what the Lord told you to do, you're not saved. What I would say is, though, if you're not doing what the Lord told you to do, why? And could that be evidence that you might not be saved? Well, sure, it could be. Because you're not going to do the things that he called you to do with the Holy Spirit inside of you who's going to lead you toward those things, okay? You're not going to do those things if the Holy Spirit's not inside of you. So I would say, man, if I'm going to lean one way or the other, I'm going to lean a little farther down toward lordship salvation, although I would not say that you have to do what the Lord told you to do to be saved. What I will say is what you do have to do the Lord told you to be saved is 1 Corinthians 15, what he told you to do to be saved. Okay, you, that is what you do have to do. You do have to believe and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and what I would say is, uh, you know, Jesus said in Luke, right? Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? And so, again, is that salvation? No. But is that, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm your Lord. There is a difference and this is where lordship salvation messes it up. There is a difference between justification and sanctification. Sanctification is doing what the Lord told you to do. Y'all with me on that? Does that make sense? Okay, I just want to get that out of the way uh, because uh, I don't want you to be confused about that, number one. And I don't want you to ever think that me, this church, or, or Robert, or, or Billy, or any of us, believe in lordship salvation because we do not we believe in faith uh alone uh but i but but i do say man as paul said in romans 12 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god present your bodies a living sacrifice which which is your reasonable service it is your reasonable service to Go through that sanctification process and cleanse yourself of all unrighteousness so that you could be meat for the master's use. Does that require you to do that for salvation? No. 
But believing and receiving is required. I do believe that. I do believe you have to repent. I do believe you need to understand what repentance is. I, I do believe that. I, I do believe that there is more than just bowing your head and saying a prayer. So you see where you're, 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 you got some two weights there, man, that, that's kind of a, a balancing act you're trying to do. I, I would say where we lie, where I lie, somewhere in the middle of that. <laughs> you know, it's tough. It really is because I can see where uh, I don't see the easy believism. That's, that's off the table. I don't see that at all. But I definitely can see where someone may think that we teach or that I teach lordship salvation when the reality is uh, that's not what I believe at all. I don't, if I ever give that impression, I'm not trying to, uh, but I do say, hey, that sanctification process is part of lordship. Is he your Lord? Because if he's not your Lord, you're never going to go through that sanctification process. Does that make sense? Is everybody good with that now? Does everybody kind of understand what, what, what all that is? All right. So with that being said, let's talk about the links in the chain of salvation. Number one, the calling, if you will. In a simplistic meaning, salvation means deliverance. We've been delivered from something. You must be called by God to fulfill his purpose. And what I mean by that is what God has done to deliver us from the bondage of sin to be saved, you must have accepted that. You must have been drawn to that. You must have received that. Okay? And so we have this, this calling, uh, if you will. And, 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 and Jude uh, says it like this, right? Jude, the servant of Christ, Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. The purpose is to glorify himself through his son Jesus by Christ's body, the church. We have been called. Now, listen, when I say we, I'm not saying you. Did you all hear what I just said? Because it's very important you understand what I just said. When I say we have been called, I'm not saying you have been called. You have only been called once you accept him as your Lord and Savior. Then you are part of the we. What were we called to do when Bill send? That's, that was our calling. We were called into our purpose. But you first have to trust in the word of God and in salvation and in the gospel. Does that make sense? Calling is that work whereby God invites all people to Christ. For God so loved the... God invites how many people? All people. This isn't a pick and choosing by God. And brings to salvation those who respond. It's an external call. All needs to meet internal acceptance, which, is in, which then becomes individual. Does that make sense? Okay, what I'm trying to get at here is this is not a, a, uh, 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 a Calvinistic idea. You must love God enough 
You must believe God enough. You must trust in God enough. You must trust in his word enough. You must trust in what he did on that cross enough to respond and accept the gospel's call. Does that make sense? Do you see why that's not lordship salvation? Because lordship salvation would require you to do something. But do you see also why that's not easy believism? Because easy, easy believism is you just, oh, I just believe Jesus loves me. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Yep. Heaven? Yeah, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Let's just get my ticket punched. Let's call it a day. Well, that's not it either. Okay? It's somewhere in between that, if you will. All right? Uh, 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 again, uh, what happens is, when we're talking about this calling, and we're going to see it a lot in Ephesians. By the way, once we're done with this packet, we're going to hit Ephesians now. We're probably not going to get another addendum for quite a while. Uh, I just want you to know that. But a lot, of these, a lot of these principles that we're talking about in these addendums, you're going to start to see them come to light in, 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 in when we start hitting chapter 2 and 3 and 4. And I'm going to be able to go, Remember that addendum we talked about there? Go back to that addendum. Refresh your mind on that because here we go. This is where he's talking about this and it's going to make a lot of sense there. All right, so this calling, we've been, we've been called with a high calling that we would know the hope of our calling, Paul says. This is what he's talking about. It's a calling to respond to the gospel, number one, and it's a calling to preach the gospel once you have responded. Everybody good with that? Okay, good. All right, foreknow is another word that we need to make sure we understand. We've talked about this already a little bit. But what foreknowledge is in the Bible, it means knowing a thing beforehand. Do you think God foreknows things? I would say God foreknows everything, okay? That's what it means. We only have one effective tool against the war of our mind, and that is the Bible. It is not foreordained to be saved. That is an incorrect definition. That's what Reformed or Calvinistic thinking would tell you. God saw how you would use your free will and then predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. Not saved, not that lost, what God predestined, what he foresaw, was that you needed to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? Because you are not in the image of God at birth, despite what we're being told. No, God is sovereign by his act of foreseeing your will and providing a predetermined outcome to those who trust Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm okay with that. I actually think that's pretty godly. Yes, of course. It, but, but you have to be in Christ for this to happen. He's predetermined what your advantages will be when you're in Christ. He didn't predetermine you to be in Christ. He predetermined the blessings you get when you're in Christ. Everybody with me on that? That's why the Calvinist has messed up Ephesians chapter number 4. They just don't under, chapter number one, they just don't understand what it's actually saying. God loves because he chooses to love, not because he foresees any loveliness. Okay, that's just not the way it goes down. God knows before the choice you're going to freely make. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that God already knows what you're going to choose to do. 
I'm okay with that. And you should be okay with that too. Now, I'm also okay with the fact that I do believe we can pray one another into salvation. I believe we could do that. I believe I could pray for somebody long enough that, but, but it's not going to be God that's going to make that person saved. It's going to be that person who is going to get pricked by God's message. Do you understand? Okay, I don't save anybody. This church can't save anybody. Robert can't save anybody. Chris can't save anybody. None of you can save anybody. You can't, you can't do it. God's the one who saves. We just water. <laughs> okay? But the point is, water. <laughs> Husbandmen. Okay? You want to th- I wonder what we might be talking about in those four weeks of marriage. I already said it this morning. Listen, if you truly understand what a biblical marriage looks like, you're going to understand what the church looks like. Because they go connected. They're connected. You're going to see the interlocking of it. It's all over the place. It's just every principle that applies to marriage applies to the church. It's just crazy like that. But it is true. Okay? And I'm just telling you, we need to be watering. Because that is the point. That's how you grow the seed. The seed doesn't grow if you just put it in the ground and walk away. That's not the way it works. Do you understand? Okay. If you want to grow a garden, you got to dress it. You got to keep it. You got to take care of it. You got to get rid of those weeds when they pop up. You got to make sure it's getting good sunlight. I've seen my wife kill enough flowers to know what happens if you don't get good sunlight. Okay. And those things are expensive, man. You start spending a lot of money on that stuff and they're all dying on you. You get a little like, can you imagine how God's feeling? Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. But you understand my point. There's something to this, all right? Predestination. Okay, so what is predestination? It means to determine something beforehand. So let's be clear, because here's where a lot of people get messed up. Foreknowledge is not predestination. Predestination is not foreknowledge. They're not the same thing. Can God see in advance what's going to happen? Yes. Has God predetermined things in advance to happen? Yes. But don't make salvation be what he predetermined what to happen, because nowhere in the Bible does it even closely even suggest that. That is a mess up of misunderstanding of foreknowledge and predestination. Okay, what is it that God has predestined? What God has predestined is that those that are in Christ are going to get a whole lot of blessings. Anybody okay with that? I'm okay with that. That's great. But now how do you get in Christ? Well, that's what Ephesians chapter 1, 12, and 13 is, 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 is hinting at. And that is why we are talking about salvation. Because if we don't understand what true salvation is we don't get those blessings that we've been listing that Robert erased, but he took a picture. <laughs> if you all knew me and Robert, man, we, we really do mess with each other a lot. He messes with me way more than I mess with him. But <laughs> I, actually, it's kind of funny. When we were driving in this morning, me and Chris were talking about you, man. I don't know if your ears were ringing or not, but honestly, seriously, and I hope you all are blessed by Robert Engel in this church, because you should be. 
Okay? I'm blessed by it. I hope you're all blessed by it. We got a good associate pastor. I'm telling you, man. And uh, I hope you all believe that because your pastor does. Uh, that was a godsend, no doubt about it. All right. Now that I puffed Robert up, let's keep going. <laughs> April's okay. Did I ever tell you the story about when I first met April? <laughs> I oh, no. She doesn't want me. She doesn't want me. You want me to tell you? It's okay. Oh, we're on YouTube. Yes, I won't say it. I'll tell you all when we're done. All right. Um, so listen, here's the thing about predestination. Now, I gave you two very, very, very influential um, predestination teachers, okay? R.C. Sproul, man, I'm telling you, drop the book quick if you got that book, if you don't know how to understand what, how to navigate it, okay? Because R.C. Sproul is a Calvinist, okay? Listen, somebody I didn't put in here that I'm going to make mention of, John MacArthur. Be careful. Be careful. You're dealing with not just Calvinists, you're dealing with high-end Calvinists. Can I help you with something? Most of the time, not all the time, because some people just go to the bookstore and they just buy anything. They don't really know what they're buying. But most of the time, I'm telling you, if a church is preaching from an ESV, they're Calvinist. ESV is the Calvinist Bible. That's their Bible, man. Okay? And they do, there are some things in there that they twist a little bit to fit their theology. Okay, that's why it's their go-to, man. It makes what they're trying to teach look all good. Uh, do what you want with it. Uh, I'm just telling you, I highly advise you as your pastor, get away from it. It is going to insert seeds of doubt real fast, okay? But listen to what R.C. Sproul said. The doctrine of predestination to salvation is called the doctrine of election. And the doctrine of predestination to damnation is called the doctrine of reprobation. We have to say that God's action of deciding to save some is simultaneously a decision not to save others. The decision to save is called the election, and the decision not to save is called... Yeah, that word. Preteritin. Preteritin. Say that real fast. Preteritin. Preteritin. Got it. Listen, first of all, first of all, what is it? Whatever you guys are saying. That word. Listen, those doctrines are not biblical. Okay, the doctrine of grace is not biblical. We got we to gotta stop making stuff up, okay, to fit our line of theology. Uh, Richard Blaylock said this, all within the Augustinian Reformed tradition agree, and, and I like how he says this, right. all within the right. Augustinian, because Calvinism is nothing more than what Augustine, Augustine taught, okay? I don't even know why we call it Calvinism. We should be calling it Augustinian. Because that's where it came from. John Calvin was just being a good, the good Roman Catholic that he was. Okay, well, whoa, 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 he reformed. No, he didn't. Did he in some areas? Sure. But in a lot of areas, he did not. Okay? It's just nothing more than Roman Catholic doctrine, and most people just do not understand this. Listen, uh, all within the Augustinian Reformed tradition agrees that God decrees that certain individuals will be justly punished for the purpose of magnifying God's justice and grace, and that this punishment is, in some aspects, according to his good pleasure. Listen, if that's God, I don't want none of, nothing of it. 
I'm just being serious. If that, if that really is true, then I am going to walk away from the faith right now. If anybody were able to prove to me that that really is true, I'd walk away because I do not want to follow God after that. Who just picks and chooses who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go to hell. That, that just does not jive with me. That doesn't jive with me because that, do, that doesn't jive in the real world. Okay? If I took three kids and I threw them all in the pool and none of them could sink and I just sat there and watched as they're all drowning, ah, that kid right there, I'll help him. There you go. Yep, there you go. I could help you too, but sorry. Bye. We would all look at me like a monster. Right? That's what we're saying if that's true. God's no longer a God of love. God's a monster. That ain't right. There's something wrong with that line of thinking. Reprobation is also logically implied by the doctrine of unconditional election and the sovereignty of God. Again, all made up stuff. Sovereignty of God, yes. Unconditional election? Where did we get this from? I, didn't, I don't see that in the Bible. Uh, again, you've got to understand and you've got to recognize what these words mean. Because I do think that's one of our biggest problems in our churches today. Uh, I love Brother Claude, man, a couple years ago, I remember uh, he was talking about words have what? Have meaning. They mean something. And knowing what they mean matters. Now listen, here's where we need to be conscious of something, <laughs> Just because somebody says a word doesn't mean they think that word means the same thing you think it means. Especially, especially when it comes to this book. However, I would highly suggest that you make sure that when you're defining a word from this book, you let God define it for you and don't let somebody else define it for you. Or yourself define it for you. What? God, one of the beautiful things about the King James Bible that you, if you don't know yet that you can learn if you want to is the law of first mention works in this book every single time. Yep. You want to understand what a word means? Go find out where it was first mentioned in the book. Start reading up, around, and all around that word and you're going to get what it means. God will explain what that word means to you. Uh, I would highly su suggest that you don't... Uh, listen, probably one of the best... Bible dictionaries I've ever had. 95% of the time, I agree with it. But again, it was by man, so be careful. You always got to be careful with every, anything that was written by man. But if you want a really good help, it is the 1828, uh, right, 1828? Webster's Dictionary on the KJV Bible. Pretty, pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. Uh, very rarely do I come up against something that I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, for the most part, the definitions are, are proper. His whole intention was to uh, use the words biblically as they were meant to be in the 1600s when the KJV writers put together uh, the book. But anyways, three things we were predestined into by God. And so we've talked about some of these things over the course of the last couple of weeks. And so this is important to know. Okay, what, it, what were we predestined into? Not what were you predestined into. What was we, the church, predestined into when we first trusted Jesus? Amen? Yep. 
Everybody got what I just said there? Okay. We were to be conformed to the image of Christ. That was what God's design was, is that when we were justified, then we were glorified, into, and we were, we were, we were uh, destined to be uh, uh, transferred, if you will, or however you want to say that, uh, into the image of Christ. Now, that is going to require something of you. Do you see where lordship salvation now could be like, wait a minute, we're not talking about justification here. We're talking about sanctification now. Everybody with me? Those are key, key words. When I, I'm going to spell something wrong on purpose, just so I can see Robert come back up here. <laughs> Did I spell that right? Jim, are we good? 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 All right. There are three tenses of salvation. Paul talks about this, okay? And making sure that you understand the three of them matters. Justification is what takes place on the day of salvation, on the day that you call out, believe, and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have been justified from your sin. Amen. You have been bought with a price. You were pulled out of bondage. Yeah? Okay? All right. On that day, you became adopted into the family of Christ. That was and will always be your decision. It's your choice. Did he give us the, 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 the foundation to make that choice? Yes. Because only by his death, burial, and resurrection could you ever even make the choice to begin with. He paid the price you and I deserved. Sin requires, let me, uh, last night we were talking about sin, remember? Uh, who was there last night? Remember we were talking about, what was it, uh, Psalm 6, right? God, listen, go to Psalm 6. I want to show you something real quick. Don't miss this now, because this is important. Check it out. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Listen, okay? Rebuke me not in thy anger. That means God is angry about something. Right? Oh, God loves everybody, though. He ain't, God doesn't hate anything. Well, really? Well, well, seems to me like he does right there. His hot, I remember last night we talked about this. You, somebody even laughed at me when I was like, hot. It's not just he has displeasure towards something. He has hot displeasure towards something. Do you know what it is that he has hot displeasure toward? It's iniquity. It's sin. 
God does not, never will, absolutely is not okay with any kind of sin. I don't care how you want to spin it. I don't care how you want to look. You can do whatever you want to do. God hates sin. He is angry at the wicked every day. No, it doesn't say that. Well, it does. Psalm 7, verse 11. God is angry at the wicked every day. Sin is sin. And guess what, everybody? I'm about to ruin all your days. Ready? Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all got a problem. It's a big one. It's so big that God is angry at it. He has got hot displeasure towards it. So let's stop this. Oh, God just loves you for who you are. No, God does not love you for who you are. That's a lie. Show me that in the Bible. I don't see that. Where does it say that God loves you for who you are? God loves you in spite of who you are. That's what it is. And if I'm sounding like I'm getting loud right now, it's because I'm passionate about this, because this is serious stuff. And we can't mess this up. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen, praise the Lord. But he gave his only begotten son because we were all sinners. We were, there was a debt that had to be paid. There's a price for sin. And the price for sin is death. And death doesn't necessarily mean physical. There's a spiritual death which sends people to hell. For what? For sin. For sin. You say, Pastor, why are you? Because it's being taken out of all the messages today and it's driving me bananas. No. You are all sinners. So am I. You know what we deserve? Hell. Oh, I'm a good person. There's none good. No, not one. Stop that junk, man. It ain't right. It's the wrong message. You got to know what you are so you can know what you can be. Does God want that for you? No. God paid the ultimate price. He died on a cross in your place. So, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Lies. Lies. God doesn't send people to hell. You send yourself to hell. Y'all with me? This is biblical. What we're talking right now, this is what the Bible teaches. And what's going to happen is, God, in all of his uh, uh, love for uh, the world and for what he did, I promise you that Satan wants you to believe just the opposite. Satan is going to get in your mind if you've ever questioned salvation. Who do you think is messing with you? Now, now, I will say this. If you're not doing the things that you should be doing, if you're not growing, if you're not in the Word of God, if you're not uh, uh, humbly coming to God and His, His, His church and, and being involved, 
yeah, 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 you might have a reason to question your salvation. Do you see what I'm saying? But, but can I say this? If, if you're having a desire to grow, if you want to grow, you're just going slow, hey, so be it. But the devil's the one that wants you to question. Okay? Don't. Trust and believe what you know. Just tr You've been in this church, most of y'all, been in this church long enough, you know. And you're still here, and you're still trying to grow, you're still trying, trust in that. Give God his due. Okay, now, instead of worrying about whether you're saved or not, just worry about growing and walking in the Lord. And you're going to know you're going to know if you're not. You're going to be like, man, every time the pastor preaches, man, none of that stuff, you know, I can't understand a thing he's saying. None of that makes even, doesn't even make any sense. Like, I have no desire to do any of that. None of that, this, this is, I, why am I even here? Those are going to be evidences of, you might want to start questioning what's going on up in your head. Okay, but if you're going, yeah, man, I, I really got to start working on you. Because what we preach here at this pulpit was being preached here. This is God's word being sent out. We're not preaching my opinions. Well, yeah, I think I believe what the what pastor just said. If you're believing what I just said, or if you're believing what Robert just said, you're believing the Word of God. The Spirit's working with you right now. Does, does that make sense? I'm not yelling. I'm a loud guy. I know. I just don't want people running around because, man, that's such a scary place to be of always questioning your salvation. Don't, don't let the devil steal your joy. Don't. Don't question your salvation. Truck on, man. Get in the game. Do the things that you know you're supposed to do. Let virtue work in you. Don't, don't be always worrying about, man, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. And I listen, I get it. The way sometimes we preach, I preach, may get a lot of you to go, oh, I don't, am I saved? It's my job, it's Robert's job to implore you to keep walking forward. And to keep walking forward, it's going to require to bring you down to do it. Okay? That's what God's word does. It's three quarters of bringing you down to bare minimum so that he can get rid of all that junk so that he can now move you forward. Don't let that be a questioning of your salvation. Let that be a questioning of, am I really walking the walk I should be walking? Those are two different things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't, just don't allow yourself to let the devil get up inside your head. Because if you start questioning your salvation, are you going to be worrying about anybody around you? You're going to be too worried about yourself now. Like, am I saved? Am I doing what I... Listen, we are all not doing what we're supposed to be doing all the time. Me included. If that's the case, right? Well, I need to question my salvation. No, that's not what, 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 what you need to do. Y'all been around this church long enough. Y'all know. Y'all know. Keep it simple. 
Okay, the sanctification process is what, where it gets yeah. tough. Yeah. Keep salvation simple. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do you believe he was buried and paid for your sins? Do you believe he resurrected on the third day? Did you put yourself on that cross? Do you recognize you're a sinner? Are you repentant of that? Doesn't mean you're not going to sin anymore. I'm just asking. Are you repentant of that? Do you recognize, I'm a sinner. I need to work on these areas. I need to get better here. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sin. I know that I'm still going to have a struggle with sin because in my flesh dwells no good thing, and it's going to war with me every day. But do you believe Jesus died and paid for those, the price of that? If you can go, I do believe that, then what are you questioning? That's the gospel message. That's it. That's right. That's what the Bible teaches. If you believe that, if you trust in that, if you have faith in that, then not by the authority of Pastor Frank, not by the authority of Robert, not by the authority of One Baptist Church, by the authority of the Word of God via Romans chapter number 10, that's salvation. There it is. Now, stop acting like the sinner you were and start acting like the saint you've been called to be. That's not you're not saved. That's we got a, a job to do. We've been called to do something. Let's do it. Everybody with me? If it hasn't been clear up to today, is it clear now? <laughs> Listen, man, there is simplicity in Christ. Let's not make it more complicated than it is. What we teach and what we preach as this church is we're, what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do as your pastor I'm trying to get you from the justification phase to the sanctification phase. That's where all the hard work starts. You want to know why? Because now it requires you to do something. See, Jesus already did all the hard work in salvation. In justification, Jesus did all that. You did nothing when it came to that. There was none of that that you did in any of that. Jesus Paid it all. To all, to him I owe. He did it all. He paid the price. He died the death we deserve. And he did it with his own blood. Trust that. Believe that. He went to hell. He paid for our sins. But that third day, he defeated death. And you may may have to experience a physical death. Maybe you will. If you're lucky enough and you get in the rapture, then you won't, okay? Maybe you will, but you will not have to experience a spiritual death. And to that, you should be saying, hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, thank you, Lord, for what you did for me. And now, as Paul says in Romans 12, stop questioning what you are or where you are in salvation and start Doing the things that you know the Holy Spirit of God is prodding you to do. I, I mean, listen, do you think that a sinner not saved is going to be prodded to virtue? No. Are you being prodded to virtue? Ask yourself that. Listen, I'll tell you this, okay? Let me give you an example. I am not saying this is how it works in your life. I don't know. I don't know what the, the Lord does with you. I know what he does with me, okay? When I'm not here on a Thursday night, 
And lately it feels like I haven't been here half the time. Listen, I will tell you this. Somewhere in the back of my head, the Lord's kind of like, what are you doing, bro? Really? Was this traffic on the bridge? You couldn't have gone all the way around? Was this rain? Like, that's how it works with me. That doesn't work if God's not, Spirit's not in you. Because if it's just me, I don't care. I'm going to go home and sit down and chill. Who's preaching tonight? Who, that Robert guy? Pfft, I'm going to watch TV. Right? No. No. Do you feel, do you feel something? When you aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing, are you feeling something? Is something going, hey, that ain't right. Now, that doesn't mean you won't still do it. But that's how God's spirit is going to work in you. And if it's working in you, then trust it. Believe in it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you are going to do every single thing in your life. Paul even dealt with it. Paul's like, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. I, but thank God. <laughs> thank God. Same thing for you and I. Don't let your... Thoughts invade you. Because your thoughts will deceive you. You hear me? They will. Don't let your thoughts invade you. Because your thoughts will deceive you. Because your thoughts... Come and permeate from your heart, and your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And only the devil wants you in a place of no joy. No. No. You know when you do right, and you know when you do wrong, because you know your Bible. Y'all been in this church long enough, you know. You know when something's going, that ain't right, man. Dang, why did I do that? Yeah? I guarantee you most of y'all have felt like that, because y'all been in this church long enough. Yeah, yeah. Are you still going to do it? Yeah. Does that mean you lost your salvation and you're not saved? No. Not at all. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the world. <laughs> welcome to our problems as Christians. We're battling with the flesh. Now, if you're doing something wrong and you're not getting pricked at all about it, then you might want to be worried. Then that's when I would say, hey, <laughs> Let's, uh, we might want to get back to the salvation thing and make sure you got this thing, you understand this thing. And believe me, believe me, okay? I've seen it a lot in people where, oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved, but man, they just have no problem doing things they ain't supposed to be doing. Listen, you should have a problem when you know that the Word of God tells you not to do it and you still do it. If you don't, then there's where your problem is. Then that's when I would start questioning it. But if you know the word of God told you not to do it, you do it, and you know, man, why am I doing that? I should. Then I say, hey, we got some light at the end of the tunnel here. Is everybody with me? Am I helping anybody today? I hope so. I don't want us running around questioning our salvation. And I know sometimes I'm, I preach hard for sanctification. Understand what layers of the three I preach hard for. I'm not preaching hard for justification in the aspect that I'm preaching it in such a way that leads to, hey, if you're not doing these things, you're not saved. Uh, no. No. What I'm saying is, if you're not doing these things, then why are you calling him Lord? 
He may have saved you. See, there's a difference between Savior and what? And Lord. Savior is justification. Lord is sanctification. You understand? See the board now? Does that all make sense? Please understand that. Don't be running around like a bunch of, uh, of, hear me, okay, I'm not being, don't be, don't run around like a bunch of scared children. Don't, don't run around like a bunch of scared children, okay? We're not scared children. We are called to grow in our faith. We are called to mature in our faith. What's going to keep you a child and what's going to keep you running around like a scared child is not getting into this book and learning which will grow you. And don't get mad at me or Robert because we want to see you grow. I don't want my kid to be running around like a little five-year-old the rest of his life. I want him to not just eat. Cereal, milk. Took bro to Texas to Brazil for my birthday. Dude out ate me. Growing boy. Right? That parents, right? We want our kids to grow. We don't want them when they're 20 to act like they're five. When they're 20, we want them to act like they're 25. We want them to grow. Same thing. Me and Robert. You know, the Bible says, look at, go to, go to, I could bring you to a bunch of places here, but go to, go to 2 John real quick. I want to show you something. Look how John perceived his flock. The Apostle John, how he perceives his flock. Check it out. Verse, verse 1, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us for how long? Forever. Right? Now, 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 drop down to verse 3. Uh, Look at verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in it. I have no greater Justification, sanctification, glorification, all of these terms 
are very, very important to understand. Uh, justification is God forgiving our sins, giving us Christ's righteousness, and therefore training a legal declaration of being not guilty in his sight, and all the church should say, Amen. <laughs> when we stand, pointing on the man wants to die, and after this judgment, when we stand before the judge, let me just tell you what's going to happen. The grovel, I said that right? Gavel. <laughs> Obviously, I knew it was wrong. That's why I said it. I know I've done it before. I've done it before, and y'all called me out on it before, so I knew it was wrong. Quiet down, Cheyenne. Cheyenne, go in the back there. Do something, will you? All right, listen. When the judge gets ready to announce the judgment, okay, if you are not saved, I don't care what you think, you're guilty. Every mouth will be stopped. The whole world will become guilty before God. Romans chapter 3. Okay, that's it. End of story. There is no but God. No, 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 no. You're guilty. And I promise you, if you don't understand you're guilty right now, on that day, every mouth's going to be stopped. You're going to be standing in, the, in front of the holy, righteous God. You're going to go, yeah, I'm guilty. I'm done. Even Isaiah said, whoa, I'm undone. My lips are of unpure. My, iniqui my iniquity has separated me from God. Even Isaiah understood that, and he was speaking the words of God. Okay, so I promise you that if you do not have the blood of Christ on you, there will be nothing to say on that day. You will be undone. You will be guilty and you will recognize it. But here's the beautiful thing. If on that day you're standing before the judge and when you realize that you're guilty, when you realize that you're about to pay a very, very severe penalty, that penalty is hell, by the way, when you realize that, someone's going to come in and go, oh, oh, oh. That, that one's mine. I paid his price. Huh? You understand? That, that one's mine. No, he, 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 goes, he goes with me. That's what Jesus did. He paid the price so that you wouldn't have to. It's not a matter of you weren't guilty. It's a matter of he's not. Do you believe that? That's salvation, folks. It's not a matter of you weren't guilty. See, that's my problem with easy believism today. Easy believism is teaching you're not guilty. You're not guilty. God loves you for who you are. God just wants to, he just wants to love on you, man. Just come to God and he'll take care of all your problems. He'll do all this for you. Just do that. God just loves you. Where in that message does it say that you're guilty? It doesn't. Nowhere in that would you go, I'm guilty. No. No. See, what happens is in that message is like, oh, God just loves me for who I am. I'm free to do whatever I want. Oh, yeah, I believe he died on the cross. Cool, dude. Thank you. I'll dance with you in the sand one day, man. That's really great that I get to go to heaven with you one day. I, I, I just love, I, 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 and that's the problem. No, I is guilty in the first degree. And you don't just, you haven't been just, you don't just have one count against you. 
you have millions of accounts against you. And you're guilty for every single one of them. And there is no I. Because you are guilty. End of story. If there's any I, it's because of him. He gave you I. Get to go to heaven. You, you don't get it. You don't earn it. He gave it to you. That's the difference, and that is what justification is. You were sold to sin. He bought you from that. He, he, let me make that clear. He made you righteous. He made you declared not guilty. He did it. You didn't do it. You didn't deserve it. And even now that you're a Christian, you still didn't deserve it, and you still didn't do it. He still did it all. Okay. Well, because of that, now what? Sanctification. Now, well, if he is your Lord, then do what your Lord told you to do. Look what he did for you. That's just your reasonable service, isn't it? You should have gone to hell. You should have been nailed to that cross. You deserve, you know what we deserve? We deserve we. That's what you deserve. Because we're all captives in our own mind. You, you, think, you think earth, it's, it, it saddens me how people, especially the younger youth today, and I see it all the time, these kids committing suicide. Can I tell you why they're committing suicide? Because they're a captive in their own mind. They, 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 they don't see. Any, they don't have any hope. Why? Because they're, 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 they're held captive by the will of the devil. They don't see it. They don't think they have any hope. And they think that the world that they live in is the prison. Not ever realizing there's a greater prison coming. If you think this is a prison, whoa. Wait till hell gets real. And the reality is you can't escape that one. You might be able to take your own life, but you can't take your own soul. All you can do is sell your soul. That's all you can do. And once your soul is sold, there ain't no getting it back. No ever getting it back. You got delivered from that, Christian. To walk in his marvelous, I love that. He didn't just say to walk in his light. He says walk in his marvelous light. Do you want to know why it's marvelous? Because when you recognize just how free you can be, oh, then you will be free indeed. Yes, you're still going to struggle with sin. Yes, you're going to still have issues. But you are so walking in the light that when those things confront you, you know how to handle them. Not that they won't happen, but you know how to grow from it and learn from it and grow from it. That's the maturing of your faith. That's understanding. It's not that you're not going to make mistakes. You are. But the definition of an insanity is to keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again. Like, like dude. What's wrong with you, man? Why would you keep doing that? 
Stop. Get ripe. Do the things that you've been called to do. That's where sanctification comes in. It's a process that takes place based on your obedience to his call. Is this salvation? Yes and no. Not saving salvation. Now you're saving yourself from yourself. If you didn't hear anything I just said, I hope you heard that one right there. What sanctification is, is saving yourself from yourself. That's what it is. It's separating you from who you are to being what you've been called to be so that now you can fulfill the purpose that you were actually meant for. And here's the big news flash that I know is the crazy thing in the church today. What you were saved for and what you were meant to do has nothing to do with you at all. Let me reiterate. Nothing to do with you and what you feel and what you think and how none of it has anything to do with you at all. Did I say zero? Zero to do with you. Nothing. Sanctification has, if it's zero, sanctification has 100% to do with him. Y'all hear me on that? Don't question salvation based on your lack of sanctification. Does that make sense? Okay. So why, then, would Pastor Robert, would Pastor Frank, would One Baptist Church, would a Billy Wood, would a Mark Trotter, would, would, would uh, people in the LFBI network, which I would trust, right? why would these folks, why would we be preaching so hard towards the sanctification process? Why is that such a big bulk of our message? Well, number one, because it was a big bulk of Paul's message. Paul's constantly preaching the process of sanctification throughout all of the church epistles. Why? Because in those sanctification, uh, and what takes place in sanctification, first and foremost, 100%, that's where God gets His glory. Through you. He got His glory by you on the day of salvation. Now he wants to get his glory through you. And that happens during the sanctification process. And what's happening during the sanctification process, very, very simply, is what sanctification should be doing is now molding you, hello, molding you from that lump of clay, that dead lump of clay that he had to breathe life into to save you, to make you alive now what he's doing is he's taking that clay pounding it getting it the way he wants it uh -oh. don't do that getting it the way getting it the way that he wants it so that you will now be meat for the master use so that through you now he can get more glory even more glory. And the beautiful part about it is, now here's where it does become about you. Okay? Through all that process, as he's getting more and more glory, you're earning crowns to give to him one day. Now, still in the end, it's still all about him. It's still about giving him the crowns. 
but you would actually have some to offer to him. So why do we pound on that sanctification process? Because I do not want this to be a church that on the day of judgment, we're all looking around at each other going, you got any crowns? Nope. You got any? Nope. What are crowns? I don't know. How come our pastor never told us about that? I don't know. What's sanctification? I, didn't even heard, I think I've heard that word a couple times. I don't know what it means. What does it mean? I don't I have no idea. We're about to find out. Y'all cannot say, if today was the rapture, not a person in this room can go up there right now and say, I don't know what that was. Yes, you do. You know exactly what it was. And if you don't have any, it ain't my fault. And it ain't Robert's fault. And it ain't one Baptist church's fault. That's your fault. You understand? Because you fully, well, you, all you have to be here is for five minutes, and you're going to know, oh, uh, okay, I'm called to do something. Simple, when bills send, that's what you've been called to do. That's how you're on your crowns. Do that, and you're heading down the right path. Glorification is the final step in the application of our redemption. When Christ returns and gives all believers a resurrected body like his. The point is your salvation is fixed and no one could ever take it away from you. Eternal security. Stop thinking you're not saved. Don't play that game. Don't let the devil beat you up on that one. No. If you believed in the message of the death, burial, and resurrection, and you've received, you've repented of your sin, and you are looking to turn away from that, and you are looking to do what you need to do, although it's a struggle, it will always be, you know, by the way, that is the pur- that, that is another major purpose of the church, is so that we can struggle together, is so that we can grow together, so that we can reaffirm and reassure, but also so that we can point out wrongs when we have to. That's the point, because this life is that hard. And if you don't have that accountability, can I just tell you what's going to happen? I promise you this. With everything I have in me, I promise you this. You will act, you will be, and you will go down the same path with the people you hang around with. I don't care how strong of a Christian you are. Start hanging out with sinners that are doing the wrong thing long enough, and I guarantee you, your flesh is going to dwell up, and you're going to start doing the same things they're doing. No, I won't. Yes, you will. And your pride is telling you that you won't, but you will. That's why you should be hanging around people who are Christians, who are trying, because that is where you need to be. You need to be walking with people that are walking in the same direction as you. Because if you're not walking with people, now did I just tell you that you can't hang around with people that aren't safe? I didn't say that. What I said is, but do be careful. And you go, whoa, where are you getting all this from? Paul says it. Why? Are you hanging out? Why, why? Don't be unequally yoked. Hey, there is a danger to it. There is. There's always a danger when you're doing something that is not biblically right. There's always a danger. And, and you go, well, no, there's not. Well, then why did God write about it? He would only write about it because it's a danger. I remember we were talking about this this morning, too, me and Chris. I remember, I don't know, about four or five years ago when we were back in the old building, our office building, Ray. Uh, and I remember one, one day, we, we, we had a new couple that came to our church. They were there for a couple weeks, and I must have set them off this day because, you know, what I was telling them is, hey, listen, 
be careful with the music you listen to. Be careful. You know, listen, growing up, I was a huge Aerosmith fan. I saw Aerosmith in concert 33 times. So there you go. Okay. I, there was a time, man, when I could tell you every single song, every single album. To this day, if I hear an Aerosmith song, it could be a song I haven't heard in 10 years, and I still can tell you every word out of that song. I still got, do I still listen to Aerosmith sometimes? Yes, I do. Judge me. Go ahead. I don't care. But what I am telling you is, but be careful. Because you start listening to the lyrics to some of these songs, be careful. Because if you're not spiritually mature enough to be able to withstand the suggestion that's being suggested by some of these songs, songs, you do know who was the leader of music up in heaven, right? Before all this took place. Well, you don't think Lucifer, the devil, the, the adversary is not using music? Because I guarantee you he is. Just be careful. That's all I said. And they left the church. Okay, do what you got to do, man. But I still stand by the statement because it's right. Be careful. And listen, can I just say this? Be careful to some of the Christian music that's being played on the radio too. Because some of the Christian music being played on the radio ain't right either. I would be even more scared of the DJs. Because I don't even listen to half of our radio stations anymore because of, the, of them. I'm listening to them going, that ain't right. What does that dude say? No, that is not right at all. But you see, we live in a day and age where you just all call, you call something Christian and, oh, we just all got to love one another, man. Hey, that's just the way you think. That's the way I think. No, all I know is I read 1 Corinthians 1.10. Maybe you should too. No. Unity is only found in the Word of God. And if somebody, myself included, is saying something that's against this book, then we can't have any unity. We're not, in, we're not unified anymore. I don't care what you call yourself. Election. Election means to be chosen by God from among humankind for himself. Either corporately, like Israel was, or individually. But what's important to note, the two elections of God in Scripture is Israel and not you. Y'all with me here? No. The other election of God was Jesus. He was elected from God. Now, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you become in Christ, then you become part of the elected. In Him. That's what he's stating in Ephesians. Oh, man. Have we not messed that up? And it almost sounds like the Calvinist has it right until you get to 1 Peter 1, 2. So why don't we go to 1 Peter 1, 2 real quick and just read what it says. Watch. Watch how you and I got elected. Peter flat out says it. Watch. Look what he says. Elected according to 
The foreknowledge of God. Remember what I talked about foreknowledge? God can foresee something before it happens. Through the sanctification of the Spirit. As the Spirit moves inside of you and He sets you apart for Himself. Unto obedience. You hear that? Obedience under the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Who were the three things and what were the three things that were elected there? Something God the Father did. Something the Holy Spirit did. And something God the Son did. What, what did you, where, where are you in that? No, your election came through them. The, do you understand Ephesians chapter 1 now? The nine blessings when he's talking about that election in, in, in the elect uh, uh, in, what is it, 1-4 I think? Is that right? You weren't elected. God elected what he was going to do. Jesus was the elected. And that's how you got in on it. God chooses the elect, not to exclude the non-elect, but so he can use the elect to reach others. Did y'all get that? God chooses the elect, not to exclude the non-elect, but so he can use the elect to reach others. The, when we get in Christ, God now intends to use the elect for a purpose, to live the life that Christ lived. Everybody with me on that? Because it's very important to make sure you understand that. You will know you are chosen by God to glorification when you have a work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what 1 Thessalonians is telling us about. All right, so uh, real quick. Are you really a Christian? Sanctification. Is the sanctification process working in you? Listen, salvation has three tenses. Past, justification, from sin's penalty. Got it? Present, salvation, sanctification, from sin's power. Do you see how that works? Future, glorification, from sin's presence. Well, it's no longer something you're struggling with. Why do we accept salvation? We accept it because of the grace, because of election, because of our calling. How do we receive salvation? Through repentance, through faith, which leads to conversion. Uh, what do we get in salvation? We get union with Christ. We get justified by Christ. We are regenerated and transformed into the image of Christ. We are adopted into his family. We are put on the path of sanctification. What are we promised by salvation? We are promised sanctification after we believe. We are promised to be preserved as eternal security. And we are promised our continuance in it until the day of glorification when you get your new body, when you are now brought before the judge, and when you are given your rewards and inheritance for a life either well done or not so well done. Does that mean you lost your salvation? Absolutely not. What that means is, is that your eternal future now is going to be dependent on what you did during the sanctification process. 
And unfortunately, can I just say, and I think most of you probably know, prior to coming to this church, not saying that this church is better than any other, I'm just telling you, this is the reality of it. Let's be honest. You aren't being taught what sanctification is in churches today. You've got no idea what that is. You aren't being brought down those paths that's going to lead to a good glorification for you. And not that we're better than anybody else. We're just teaching what the Bible actually says about it. Can I tell you why most churches won't tell you about it? Huh? Can I tell you why? Because when we start preaching that, the butts don't stay in the seat for as long. See, because now, now I actually do have to do something. Now there is something required of me. Now I actually do have to realize I need to give up my life. And we don't want to give up our life too easily, do we? Huh. Key thoughts. Grace is, fin is the finished work of, of, of Christ operating on your behalf. And because you are activated, you've activated by faith, so now God favors you without reference of your merit and imputes to you the ability to do the work of his son. That is true biblical grace. Grace is not God loves you. That, 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 that's, that, that. Is there a partial truth in that? Yes. Do you get grace because God loves you? Yes. But if you stop right there, you have forfeited the true biblical understanding of grace. No, what grace is, is God imparting in you the ability to do the work of his son. That's what true grace is. The only proper response to grace is repentance. Repentance is change of mind that brings about a heart sorrow for and renunciation re re of sin, which leads to the consequent change, life of action, transformation. I told you all a couple weeks ago or maybe last week, I said, we're not looking for revival. That's not what we want. We want transformation because only a changed heart is going to make the difference. What repentance is not? Just a change of opinion. Just a sorrow that you got caught. Not feeling bad for what you have done, but for who you are. Huh? It's not just being bad for what you've done. It's who you are. Being bad for who you are. Because you are a sinner. Uh, and it's not a performance of penance. What repentance is? Repentance is commanded by God. Acts 17.30. God, you know, in times past, God winked at. Right? But now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance brings people to salvation. It's, it's, it's uh, the burden, if I can say, of God's heart is for us to repent. Repentance means you changed your mind about something. And what it is that we need to repent of is that we are realizing we are sinners. And we're changing our mind about the fact that we no longer want to be sinners. We want to be saints. That make sense? Repentance is a gift God grants because it's produced by the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. How repentance is related to salvation? Repentance, conversion, faith. Negative turning from, positive turning to. Three things that bring salvation. Repentance, which is a change of mind, which comes from the mind. Conversion, change of direction. That is an action. That's where you need to, you, you, you're doing something. Faith commitment of trust 
that's your will. All three of those things are lining up when you're saved. You're, 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 you're changing your mind. You're changing your direction. You're putting your commitment, and your faith and your trust into the one that paid it all for you. Faith is the precursor to all things. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. While love is the greatest do-be, faith is the first responsibility of mankind. True biblical love only originates from faith that leads to charity. Let me end right here. Three aspects of faith. Faith is an object of which one places trust that which is believed. Faith is the act or state of believing the act of the will which trusts. Faith is the quality of steadfastness that makes one worthy to be trusted. And I gave you a whole lot of verses that I highly suggest you go back and read. And get into this, man. Really take a look at this. Uh, I remember uh, uh, Pastor Robert, I don't know, a couple years ago now, he, he preached on the book of James. And he talked about different kinds of saving faith. Okay? Uh, so I highly would go back and, and suggest you go listen when he preached those messages because it's important to understand the different kinds of saving faith because there are there is faith that's not saving. Okay? Uh, three types of faith. Faith as in an intellectual incent. There's a head knowledge that comes with this. Faith is one of the gifts of the Spirit to enable you to stay on the right path. Saving faith. By the way, justification, sanctification, glorification, all sitting right there. What faith is not? Faith is not rationalizing. This type of faith does not work. It's dead. Faith is not a merit or good work. Faith is not mystical. It's not uh, grace imparted to a passive soul. Those aren't the things that are of faith. Faith means to be persuaded about God's promise to the extent that it enables God's performance to take place in your heart. The ABCs of what faith is? Accept, believe, confess. Uh, he becomes your Lord and Master. He's not your Savior, savior unless He is your Lord. And this is what brought me and Robert to have the conversation that we had. Listen, what I'm meaning there, just so I can clarify, okay, is what I'm saying is, if he's your Lord, or if he's your Savior, then why is not he your Lord? So maybe it's worded a little wrong there, but that is definitely what is meant by it. If he's your, if he's your Savior, then he should be your Lord. Look what he did for you. Ephesians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints are faithful. And what does Jesus say when the Son of Man comes? Will he find faith on the earth? He better find it in us. He better find it in us. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And let me just close with this. Listen, what separates Christianity from all other religions in the world, okay, is the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. He has told us things before it comes to pass, so then it, when it comes to pass, we will believe, okay? And there are numerous Hundreds of things that are happening in our world right now that he has told us was going to happen before it happened so that we would know the Quran doesn't do that, 
Jehovah Witnesses don't do that. Mormons don't do that. Indie, uh, what are they? Hindus don't do that. None of them do it. Only the Bible does it. It's the only way. And the Bible even says, if one thing doesn't come to pass the way I said it does, negate the whole thing. That's what God says back in Deuteronomy 18. Do you, you do recognize that. To this day, no one can make that claim about the Bible. I mean, what else do you need? Our faith is not blind. We do not have a blind faith. It is the evidence of things hoped for. The, what does that say there? The what? We have evidence to our faith. And let me just tell you, the evidence is so overwhelming that it would floor you if you really understood all the evidence. It's mind-blowing. And what is even more mind-blowing to that is you can't prove any of it wrong, even if you tried. I tried. Can't. Even if you wanted to, can't. You can't prove God wrong. You can say you don't believe it. That's fine. If you want to play that game, but you can't prove him wrong. He's been right about every single thing he's ever said. Every scientific discovery, every archaeological find, every prophetic utterance he ever made, they all are absolutely 100% correct. No one's ever been able to look at any of those things and go, oh, God got that wrong. No, he didn't. Well, God's got it in his book. He contradicts himself. No, he doesn't contradict himself. What you probably should do is go find out what he's actually trying to sell you. Because when you think that he's got a contradiction in his book, uh, that's when God's trying to show you something, if you're willing to dig a little deeper. It's not a contradiction. He's trying to teach you something even greater. And I promise you, I've seen them all, man. I've come to, I've, I've studied this book pretty good, man. I've been in it, man. There's been many times where I go, Sounds like a contradiction right there. I don't know about that. And then you start digging into it and you start looking at it and go, yeah, I'm a fool. That wasn't a contradiction at all. And oh my gosh, what did I just learn? Because I actually took time to dig into it instead of trying to point the finger at God and tell him that he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he puts those things, I do believe, he puts those things in the Bible to get your attention. To see, are you going to question me? Or are you going to dig a little deeper? Well, I guess I'll dig a little deeper. Okay. Now let me show you something. Amen? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> How far do we get? We got to page the meaning of conversion, right? That's where we're going to start next week? All right, so we should be able to finish this next week. Good. Yep. I want to finish this next week, and we will. All right. Father, we come before you, Lord. I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for everything you're doing in and through this church. Lord, I pray uh, in, uh, as we get ready for uh, this uh, VBS, Lord, that we would be uh, diligent uh, about uh, just talking to our friends, our family, and the people that we know that have kids. Uh, get them signed up uh, so that we can have a, a successful uh, VBS this year as we our first time doing it. Uh, Lord, would you just uh, bless us and watch us and uh, keep us sane and uh, help us to do the right things. Uh, Lord, and uh, may we give you the glory for it. Uh, we certainly aren't doing this for, uh, for our own benefit. Uh, Lord, we're looking for uh, the opportunity to minister to these kids and then hopefully uh, minister to their parents. 
And Lord, uh, that is our heart. And so uh, we hope that you, you certainly see that. And uh, uh, Lord, uh, I hope that is our heart. And uh, Lord, we uh, uh, are just so grateful uh, for all that you've done in and through this church. Uh, we are grateful for uh, the pastors uh, of, 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 of all of our One Baptist churches. We are grateful for all the people of our One Baptist churches. We are grateful for all that you're doing in and through. Uh, it's just a joy to hear all the successful things going on over at One Baptist Douglasville and, and Hope uh, Baptist over in uh, uh, Stallings, North Carolina with David Goodson. Uh, Lord, it's, it's, man, it's just an awesome thing to be a part of something that, that we know is uh, of you because we're watching the growth and we're seeing uh, the, uh, the, the fruit of it all. And so, Lord, uh, but also help us to make sure that we are, are mindful that uh, anything good that's being done is because of you. And if we ever cease to follow after your word, uh, then uh, you will certainly pull the candlestick out of those areas. Let us not leave our first love. Lord, we do love you. We do thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good day.